you for, for Robert. I pray that you would use him mightily um, as he serves us and um, uh, shares what's been on his heart, what you have been speaking to him through the Holy Spirit. So be with his words. May we receive it, and uh, may you be glorified uh, in that. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is, is this working? It is on. It's not very Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Um, really appreciate you all coming. And hopefully that the words that I say is pleasing to God and, and, and will speak to truth into your lives. <clears throat> so we have a sleep problem, if you don't know, in the United States and maybe, maybe parts of the world. And let me share you some statistics, statistics of sleep. This is from a Gallup poll, I think it was in 2012. So basically it said only 32% or about a third of us are getting excellent sleep. The rest of us are getting good or fair or poor sleep. Right? And that's probably pretty consistent with what we consider sleep and how we are doing with sleep. And so there's other statistics, and let me share you some of this interesting statistics I found. It may be on Google, maybe true or maybe not, but at least it was kind of fun to, to watch. So one of the statistics said that people have fallen asleep in different places. So up to 12% of you has fallen asleep at work. Maybe. Uh, like, uh, up to 10% of you fell asleep at school. I'm looking at some of the kids here, right? And sad to say, seven of us, 7% of us have fallen asleep at church. And then the, the most interesting thing is that 4% of you actually admitted that you fell asleep on a toilet. So like, like, how do you do that? So, so there's the statistics on that. That's funny. And there's some serious health consequences. You know, obviously we make joke of it that we fall asleep, but there's actually some serious health consequences of sleep deprivation. So let me show you this next video. Hopefully this works. Can you press that, Steve? Or do you just press it's it play? It's not going to play. Oh, it's not going to play? Oh, the videos don't work here, huh? Yeah, I guess I... I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was a video. I thought it was just an image when it came Okay, I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna reenact the video, okay? <laughs> There's this guy hanging out. He's hanging out and just driving a car. As you said, he's not wearing a seatbelt. Right, it's really dramatic. And so he's kind of doing his thing, you know, just like anybody else on I-5. And then he kind of does this kind of little head nod. And then he's just, then he sees this car coming on the side and then he tries to swerve. He sees this thing get hit on the car, he flips over and his head goes through the window on the left side yeah and it's pretty dramatic and it's only like a 10 second video um and i don't know where we got that but this is a, a dash cam video obviously uh i don't know if he survived or not but he wasn't wearing seatbelt he crashed in the back and his head was going through the window and that's called something called micro sleep and so um let's dive into why people have these issues um you know the cdc did some interesting statistics, and just ask a survey, uh, if you look at the data on data and traffic, and 50% of you said that you actually drove drowsy at one point in your life, right? And I can admit to that, like, after the pandemic, we come at, out of the pandemic, it's basically, the traffic is nonstop now, it takes 45 minutes, I have to wake up earlier to get to work. And who, who works in Seattle, anyone works in Seattle? Yeah, you work, you work there, and, and the traffic sucks. 
And you can see all these crazy people on the road. Now, I don't know what they're doing, whether they're on their phones, whether they're sleeping or whatnot. And then every time there's a crash on I-5, right? And you wonder if anything's related to sleep or distraction. So 50% of us actually admitted that we actually drive drowsy. And actually up to 20% said they actually fell asleep at the wheel. Which is kind of scary, right? And frightening to think about the more people coming out. I remember in residency, and Rochelle would be um, probably familiar with this, is that we're so sleep deprived, I must have fallen asleep at the wheel many, many times. And it's amazing how I didn't die from it, right? And so we, we are a, a society of sleep deprivation. I'm a physician, so I do want to share your statistics more than what you probably want to hear. But I thought this would be a good, good uh, slide to kind of review. So on the left-hand side is just performance. This was a study done at Walter Reed, and it basically talked about how well you perform with sleep deprivation, okay? And so on, the, on that side, <clears throat> it's about 100% cognitive performance if you had seven hours of sleep or more. Now, if you sleep, you deprive yourself at six and a half hours, you can see that line, at the yellow line, you're at about day five, and the, when you hit the weekend, you're only operating at about 90% of your cognitive brain function, okay? You dial that down to five hours of sleep or less. As you can see, by day five, you're at 80% of brain function. This is cognitive ability, processing, reaction speed, et cetera. And what they found that at this level of 80%, you're probably operating at a blood alcohol level of 0.08. So you're basically driving drunk on five hours of sleep for five consecutive nights. Wow. So think about that, right? We don't let people drive drunk, but we actually let people drive sleep deprived. We had a story we were coming back from Georgia to um, here in Tacoma. We were moving in 2017 and we shipped our car, right? And so we, it, we took our time. It took about seven days to get over there. So we shipped our car a little later. And for whatever reason, the guy who had my car, my little mini, he got there in three days. And I was like, what is that? How did you get there so fast, right? Like, do you think he slept at all? I'm like, probably not. And going over the passes in, in Idaho, wherever you go to, in the, this is the winter time too. So I was glad that he was alive, that my car made it, made it well. Um, there's also some it really um, other intermediate effects and short-term effects and long-term effects. And you know, as a physician, we see a lot of the long-term effects of obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, depression, anxiety, all of that's related to sleep issues. And so there's a lot of things more than just the, hey, I'm just not sleeping well, okay? And there's more to that for the health effects. It actually affects like your daily mood, right? Like if you're sleep deprived, you're not operating very well, uh, you're tired and you may be a little bit more moody, right? <laughs> like your relationships might get affected when you're not sleeping as well. And you don't, you don't operate very well when your spouse may say something to you, you may snap back, right? I've done that many times. <laughs> And I gotta say, Connie's done that to me many times. <laughs> and then I said to Connie, I was like, well, why don't you maybe get some sleep? How does your sleep go? <laughs> and so sometimes she would say, okay, maybe I need to get some sleep. And I wouldn't even talk about my kids because they'd be too embarrassed. <laughs> but I guess I did talk about them. All right, let's dive, dive into the Bible, what the Bible says. All right, let's read Psalm 127, one to two. Can someone read that for me? My glasses is not good. So, Steve, do you mind? You sure. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will no, do no good. 
It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Yeah, so this is a verse that's touched me over my life and my career at work. Um, as you know, I'm a physician, and sometimes, uh, and I was in the army, and a lot of things that happens at work affects who our family and our relationships. But this verse really spoke to me many, many times during my career, and it continues to. So let's take it, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, you have to understand is that we are created to sleep, okay? So we are created beings, and we are created to sleep. And so think about that, right? So God in his infinite wisdom said to man, you are gonna sleep for eight hours of your 24 hour day period. One third of your life will be spent sleeping. And whenever you think about that, the question is why? Why would God do that? Because if I had eight more hours a day, I don't need sleep, boy, how much more productive could you be, right? How much more could you enjoy this world and creation? But you gotta realize that God created us to sleep. So you are made to sleep. So that's the first thing I want you to understand. And as we break this down, as Psalm 127, one to two says, it says that if, you're, if God is not in your work, then it's kind of fruitless, hmm. right? If you're doing things, toiling day and night, and God is not there with you, it's kind of fruitless. You could stay up all night trying to guard your sentries or your houses, right? And that for us, maybe like taking care of our family, maybe taking care of the house, taking care of our job, right? All of those is our work, but if God is not in the picture, it's kind of vain, it's, kind of vain. It's, it's not worth anything. And so that's what I want you to first pick up on this verse. The second thing I want you to pick up is that it's the Lord's work, it's not your work, right? It's not your work, it is the Lord's work, because that's his job. And so if you're in the Lord's work, you're actually partnering with him, and partnering with the Lord to do his work. And then the interesting thing about this verse is that God will give you the rest, right? It's a gift. Even though you may be working hard at night, that God will then give you the rest that you need. And so that's the third thing I want you to take from this. So I want to I share your story, um, and I'm probably not going to make it without choking up a little bit. <laughs> so, um, this is a story when I was in Hawaii. So I was just here in the Pacific Northwest 20 years ago, and we moved to Hawaii, and my dream job was to be a program director. For those of you who don't know it, as a program director is basically leading a bunch of resident physicians, young physicians, to become you know, adult grown-up physicians, right? And so training them into being all that they can be in, in family medicine, which was my training program. I came under um, one of the program directors as assistant program director, and so as I first got there, I spent a lot of time fixing things as much as I can, because I was like a star, I was like a superstar, not to be uh, saying that, but I was really good, right? And, and the Lord had to just really humble me, that it wasn't about me. And so as I was working with this boss, and you know, you've had bosses that doesn't do well, right? Has anyone had bosses that you don't connect with? Okay. Yeah, right. And I had this boss that's like, boy, you're, you're really screwing things up. And I could do things a lot better, right? Now let me just take over the program. 
right? So God had to really humble me. I, I, I spent a lot of time fixing systems. And next thing I know, uh, about a year later, I got deployed to Iraq. So I got deployed in 2018, 20, 20, 2006. And then it was a 12 month deployment. I got extended for three more months. So it's 15 months. And as I got back from it, right? And there's a lot of stories in between that. But as I got back from that deployment, all the systems that I built was gone. So I was like, what the heck? Right, I worked all this work and toiled day and night. And it's all for now. And so what that taught me was one, it's like, it's not about you. And the, the next thing is, is like, I took over that program shortly after. When I came back from Iraq, uh, my boss said, hey, you're gonna take over the program and you can do what you want with it. And so I did. So I, I, first of all, when I got humbled with all the systems got broken, I decided to rebuild the same systems, right? Because why not? Because it worked. So I built the research program, I built all the systems back. All my program was, was getting better. <clears throat> Our program was probably the worst program in the army. It's probably 60% passing their boards, which is like terrible. You don't want a doctor not passing your boards, right? <laughs> and so think about that. You had 60% board pass rates. And so I had to build that system back. And so as I worked and toiled day and night, um, and I said, hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. And I thought it was for God's work, right? If you think about it. Hey, I'm building doctors. This is what I designed me to do. And therefore, I'm gonna just work hard day and night. Uh, this is when we got Emily and Emily came into our picture in our lives. We adopted Emily from Korea. And so now that changed the change of all the calculus of what I could do alone versus Connie needed help manning the home front, right? And so what I had to do is, instead of um, working at home late at night, we kind of made a deal with Connie. He's like, why don't I come home? We'll put Emily to bed so she actually sees me for like 10 minutes, right? Because I'm working early in the morning and coming back late at night. And then I said, okay, after you both go to sleep, I will start working. So that's what I did. So we, we basically, uh, I came back around 6.30 uh, at night. We had dinner together. We put the kids together. And then as soon as Connie and Emily fell asleep, I went back to work. So online, did everything via email, uh, and then spent almost close to midnight to try to finish the work. Right, so I told all of that. And I bring this up because I always thought it was for good, right? I always thought this was in the Lord's work. And it probably wasn't. And when I did this, and, I, and Connie was telling me, what are you doing this for? And I said, well, I'm, I'm building the system so this place doesn't fall apart again. And Connie's an infinite wisdom. So well, it's going to fall apart if you leave. I said, what are you doing this for? And then I realized that God is telling me, you are doing this to help people. You are here to love people, take care of them. And whatever happens to those systems, that may go, go away, but your relationships with people never end. And that's the lessons he taught me here. This is our, sorry about that. <clears throat> so don't forget, it's like, you may be doing the right thing, but is, is it what you're doing? Is, are you doing it for God's kingdom? Is this your kingdom that you're working in? Which kingdom are you operating in? Are you operating in your kingdom or are you operating in God's kingdom? Even though it looks the same, my focus is completely different. It's focused on the people. Loving people where they are, walking them through their challenges, 
and then and making sure that they could take care of other people is really what it was. So let's talk to, uh, let's go about the next verse in Matthew. And the Matthew verse is pretty famous, right? It says, come to you, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and the burden is light. So what I want to um, bring to you on this verse is here, and I think, I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard about this verse, but when I was reviewing this and really studying about what God's trying to tell me and tell you, is that, first of all, you have to recognize that you need Jesus, right? If you are toiling and, and weary and restful, you actually need Jesus, right? Because you're, you're something about that, you're not getting that rest. And so once you understand that you need Jesus, then the second step that you have to do is you actually have to go to him. Right? Jesus is not going to just come to you. Right? He's not, if you look at this verse, he's not going to you. He says, come to me. So not only you have to recognize your need, the second thing is you have to know that you have to go to him. You have to humble yourself and go to him. Go to Jesus. And the, the cool thing about us is that he's not going to take away your burdens. Right? He's not saying that he's taking away your burdens. He's saying that he will teach us in a humble heart. He will teach us how to give us rest. And then we will find rest. And it's the rest in him that we're doing to work together with him. And that the burden is light because he's carrying some of the load for you. Right? He's not telling you not to work. He's not telling you to stop what you're doing. He says, come to me, join me in my work, and then we will do this together, and it'll be, it'll be easier, right? It'll be easier, and then now you can do things, and you're not going to be burdened by this, even though you might be still toiling. Okay, so let me talk to you about Psalm. Uh, this is Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So just to get a context of this verse and what, what was happening here, this was David speaking about the time when he was being chased by Absalom. And Absalom, if you know it, is his son. And his son was taking over his kingdom and basically chasing him with thousands of soldiers to try to kill him, right? Can you imagine your son trying to kill you, right? And that's the thing that is just mind-blowing about me, this verse, is that while he was fleeing, he lay down and slept. Now, if you're being chased by an enemy, whether that's Absalom, your son, a bear, right? Whatever it is, if you're in the woods, you're being chased by something, you're probably not going to try to sleep. No. But David here slept. And why is that? It's because it's, well, first, you have to sleep, right? You can't go 96 hours without sleeping, right? Trust me, you will, not, you will fall asleep, right? I think the world's record is 120 plus hours, which I don't know how people do it. Um, so you, he had to. But who had to, had to trust? He had to trust in the Lord. And only then that he can sleep. 
right? And then again, he woke again because the Lord sustained me. So he's saying, oh my goodness, I'm alive today. Thank God I'm alive, right? And he said, the Lord is the one that sustained me today. And therefore, I will not be afraid of thousands of people because the Lord's got my back. And so, um, where are your enemies, right? Who are you running from, right? Is your work your enemy? I'm gonna share another story. This is a story that, um, I learned a lot of lessons, obviously, in Hawaii. And when I came to the VA system, I work in the VA, um, I got to the VA in September of 2020. I retired from the military about the same time. I spent 22 years in the military. Um, and I woke up, I, I, I went into this department, I lead the education department, and I lead about 20 people. At that time, when I came into that, they were operating at 60% personnel. So they had about 11, we had 11 people, roughly for about 20 spots. Um, nobody talked to each other at work. One, because it was a pandemic and nobody was there. Um, nobody got along with each other. Supervisors were not talking to supervisors. There was investigations all over the place where the three heads of the, the, the department got banished to their own sides of the room, right? And got put in timeout. And they basically said that, hey, you can't even talk to each other. So imagine an apartment where you're trying to fix something and you, they can't even talk to each other, right? So that was kind of challenging. And so I did my things. So I, I walked into the system, I learned who they are. Um, and I've, I've had challenges in the military system, but this is probably one of the harder ones I had. So um, even through deployment and combat, right? Because I felt like I was in combat. Um, and so what happened was that there was this one individual when I kept working with this person, let's call her CP for, for, um, for namesake. When I was working with this indiv individuals, all she would say was no. We can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this, we can't hire, we can't do that, no, this is never gonna happen, your boss is never gonna support you. And I don't know if you have, anyone had Debbie Downers in your world, right? It's like, that was the Debbie Downer of my world. I was like, oh my goodness. It's like, can you say yes to something? Right, and it was just really challenging. And you know, this is where, you know, I did my thing, I just said, hey, where can, where can I help? He's like, I don't have time to do this, and blah, blah, blah. And so I said, well, let me take some of that burden off you. Let me just do that work for you. And she obviously was saying that, okay, fine, you can do it because you're gonna run into a big brick wall like I've had. Um, well, I didn't. I ran into walls that had holes in it and I was able to get through those walls. And it actually worked. Um, and that person um, was surprised, but finally disgruntled, kind of continued to work with me. Next thing I know is like, I'm getting investigated. Right, so I got one investigation. I was like, what is this? And this was, it seemed kind of frivolous. With the VA investigation, you don't know who it is, but I'm pretty sure it was CP, right? And I was like, what is going on here? And then I was like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. We could, we could do this mediation, and we did this mediation thing. Next thing I know, I got another investigation. I was like, what is going on here? And so, you know, in our DNA groups, I know I talked about that person a lot. So, and uh, I struggled with that person. And it was a hard, hard thing. She was my enemy. She was my bear. She was my Absalom, right? She was coming after me. And it's like, what do I do, Lord? And I had some sleepless nights, good and bad, right? Because what am I gonna do? How am I gonna face this person? How do I talk to this person? Because we still have to work together, right? As this investigation. And needless to say, I've been in the military system for 22 years. I never got investigated. I've been leading hospitals, leading organizations, leading departments, never got investigated because I always try to do the right thing, right? 
And my first time, my first year at the VA, I got investigated twice. I was like, what is going on? And what the Lord taught me, and through just praying and with my DNA group, is that it wasn't about her. That it wasn't about her that was my enemy. Even if it was her, there must have been something going on that I had to love her the way she is. And love her the way that she needs to feel that she can do, understand what she's doing to the system, to our, to our department. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And it wasn't pleasant for her, right? I tried not to make it um, like, hey, everything went well and everything was smooth. Is that you want to put boundaries with these individuals, but also make sure that you're doing it because you love her. And I told her that. It's like, look, I think it's going to be really good for you. This is how we're going to do it. Because you said you're overworked. I'm going to take those off of you. What are you going to do well? What do you do best? Let's put you in that place. And so we did that. And it functioned. It did well. And it did fine. And lo and behold, after six months of this, after the investigation is over and I was cleared of all names, um, she decided to retire. I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, this is the answer to prayers. Right? And this, this is exactly what she needed. She really needed to retire. She wasn't getting anywhere in the system. She wasn't doing the things that she needed to. She knew that she was a detriment to our department. And it was amazing how God worked in that. And because the way I loved her, despite all of that, even though that she was hunting me down and trying to take me down and take me out, that I survived, number one. And number two, she did well. And so that's what I want to share is that, you know, who's your enemy out there, right? What are you looking at? Who's, who's chasing you down? Who's robbing you of your sleep? All right, and then in Psalm 4.8, um, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So this is a David's plea to, despite all the pains and anguish and enemies that are around him, that please, uh, you're going to make me dwell in safety. And that, that's not to mean that everyone's going to be safe, right? As, as we're in combat, we, we looked at Psalm 91 as, as a protector. And just because you say that prayer is not a lucky magic charm, right? And some people have died and people did not wake up, right? But because of the trust that you can have in the Lord, you can lie down and sleep. Because he will bring you to safety no matter what, no matter where you are. This is Psalm 23, and I want to emphasize that hopefully you understand that, that sleep and rest is important, but understand this psalm, if you can read this, my Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me um, beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Now, what, what is really clear to me here is that if you don't stop to rest, right? If you continue to drive on, doing your things, wearing a toilet, one day he's going to make you do it, right? As the word make, he's going he's to say, hey, come over here. I'm going to put you to pasture today, <laughs> right? And I'm going to put you down because you need some rest. I, I did feel that's what the Lord was doing to CP. That you need to rest. This is it. You've got to put down the pasture. And if you don't stop, I will make you. I will lead you to path to righteousness. Right? So I will make you rest. 
And I come back to say, okay, so if we're created to sleep, why is that? This is the verse that I saw that might help you to understand why um, God wants us to sleep. This is, um, I lift my, this is Psalm 121, 1 to 4. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not sleep for you. He will be there for you. Okay, I want to add this summary. Okay, so first of all, um, you don't have to bear with me much longer, but this is the summary slide that hopefully I can understand what I'm trying to give you your points. First of all, you're created to sleep. Understand that. You need it. You're created. You need it. And it's a biological need. You're going to need to sleep. Number one. You have to go to him. You can't let the world just take you over. Right? The world's going to drive you to so many different places and, and distract you with so many things. But you have to understand that once you need him, then you go to him. Recognize your need and go to him. He will make you sleep, right? Remember that. So if you don't sleep, he will make you sleep. The, the fourth point is that the, your rest will be given to you. It's a gift from God. So take it as a gift. But sometimes you have to slow down and stop. And finally, you know, for the next two, do not be afraid. And that despite anything that you do, if you go to him, you join him in his work, he will sustain you. So thank you. That's good. Yeah, actually.